feel kind of like God. <laughs> and then this man with the devil on his hand came and took the hat. Free Britney. Free Britney. Guess who's back? Back again. Nick is back. Tell a friend. That's right, I am back and Dab to Death is now bigger and better than ever. I am your host, Nick Nobody Savage, and it feels so good to be back in the studio recording for all you voodoos and voodolls and all you voodies in between. As good as it feels to be back here tickling your ear holes with the smooth sounds of my voice. I wish I could say that I felt as good about this week's topic. Instead, the subject of this episode is a cold, calculated killer who left a bad taste in my mouth. In 1971, this man methodically murdered every member of his family, one by one, and then disappeared for 17 and a half years. In fact, he had planned out this killing spree. So well that it was almost a month before anyone even discovered the bodies. The man I am referring to is none other than John List. And he's a real son of a bitch. So what drove John to murder his entire family and vanish off the face of the earth for close to 20 years? As much as I would like to tell you that there was something seriously wrong with Mr. List's mental state... That's sadly not the case. John's reasoning is actually pretty pathetic and makes absolutely no sense. But before we get into his bullshit reason and into the rest of this week's episode, let me tell you what I am smoking on today. Of course, I've got some Paper Planes products as usual, but this time I've got something a little special. We've got some uh, crosses here. I've got the Wilson Willie crossed with Holy Banana. Some G.I. Joe Wilson crossed with some Gnome Magic. And I've got some Drunk Driver Live Resin Batter. Uh, those first two were Live Resin Batters as well, actually. Uh, I'm excited for the G.I. Joe Wilson... Um, <laughs> the G.I. Joe Wilson Gnome Magic and the Wilson Willie Holy Banana... Mainly because those are genetics that came from, correct me if I'm wrong, Masonic Smoker. Uh, you can check them out at Masonic Smoker 3.0 on Instagram. But he's got some of the best genetics in the game right now. And uh, we're excited to work with him at Paper Planes. So, moving right along, I think I'm going to try me some of... Um, I think I'm going to go with the Wilson Willie Holy Banana. Mainly just because I'm really intrigued on how that's going to smell and taste. Okay. Hmm. It's got a very light... Hmm. Almost floral smell. Um... Wow, that, yeah, that is intriguing. Okay, well, um, yeah, I'm going to just dive in and try this one out, because fuck it, why not? 
We're here to get dabbed to death, bitches. It is fucking hot in here. I'm like porn sweating shit. It's weird. I don't know what's going on. I've got blisters on me fingers. I'm also uh, super excited to be back because uh, we've rearranged the studio here a little bit. And uh, I feel like it's going to be a lot more dynamic when we ha- uh, if I have guests on the, air, on the show. And, uh, you know, we're going to start doing video here very soon. So look out for the Dab to Death YouTube channel. Um, and then in addition to that, there will probably be a Patreon or some sort of subscription, like members only kind of aspect. So, and that's where you can get like the full, you'll get the full videos, no edits, you know, the good shit. Anyway, time to dab. like this this has a really nice smooth hit oh really good flavor profile i really wish with weed that like if it was called banana that it tasted like banana you know just just a little bit of actual flavor but <coughs> it's because i really i i'm pretty big on artificially flavored things especially candy i love fucking candy i used to eat so much candy as a kid I mean, I still eat a lot of candy, but, like, I'm surprised I don't have diabetes at this point, you know? I'm Wilfred Brimley, and I'd like to talk to you for a few minutes about diabetes. All right. Well, now that we've gotten that out of the way... Here is something you can't understand. My entire family in cold blood. John Emil List was born in Bay City, Michigan on September 17, 1925, and he was the only child of strict German-American parents John Frederick and Alma Barbara Florence List. His father, who was 66 when John was born, had a son and a daughter from before his marriage to Alma, who was 38 when John was born. But I'm pretty sure they were already adults at this point, considering how freaking old his parents were. His childhood was fairly unremarkable, and John was described as a relatively quiet child who never really had a large group of friends. A former classmate of his even said that, quote, He was just there. He never projected himself. He was always in the background. In 1943, John graduated from Bay City Central High School and enlisted in the United States Army, serving as a lab technician towards the end of World War II. John was discharged in 1946 and enrolled at the University of Michigan at Ann Arbor, where he was commissioned a second lieutenant through the ROTC program there. He also earned a bachelor's degree in business administration and a master's degree in accounting. Then, when the Korean War escalated in 1950, List was recalled back to active duty. 
I'm sorry, business administration. I get that. That's cool. I actually took some business administration classes and like, you know, I was trying to do like the whole business management thing. I wanted to like start and run my own business at one point. Ironically enough, here I am. Uh, but accounting, like really dude, accounting, like I get it. It's a job that, you know, somebody's got to do it, but like, Jesus Christ, bore my fucking brains out. Anyway, it was while he was stationed at Fort Eustis, Virginia, that he met his future wife, Helen Morris Taylor. Helen was the widow of an infantry officer who had been killed in action in Korea, and she had a daughter named Brenda. The two were married on December 1st, 1951, and the family then moved to California, where the Army decided to put John's accounting skills to use by transferring him to the Finance Corps. Quick side note. The whole California thing, I saw it, and it, like, but the way it was written, it made no sense to me, because it was like, oh, they moved to California, but then, like, instantly, they're back on the East Coast. So I was a little thrown by that, and uh, I'm sorry if I'm wrong. Let me know at feedback at com, or just, you know, hit me up on any of the social medias, which you can catch at the end of the episode. Anyway, back to the regularly scheduled programming. Uh, yeah, so he got transferred to the finance corps, which basically is just like the accounting department for the army. John's time in the army hadn't really done anything to hone his social skills either, and he would have to change jobs several times throughout his life due to this fact. When he finished his second tour of duty in 1952, he took a job at an accounting firm in Detroit. Shortly after that, he took a position as an audit supervisor at a paper company in Kalamazoo. While living in Kalamazoo, John and Helen had three children of their own, a daughter named Patricia and two sons named John Jr. and John Frederick. Kalamazoo. I just really love saying Kalamazoo. It's such a great name. Uh, anyway, Kalamazoo seemed to be pretty good for John, who had risen to the position of general supervisor of the accounting department at the paper company by 1959. Helen, on the other hand, had become increasingly unstable and had slipped deeper into her alcoholism. After Helen's daughter Brenda got married and moved out in 1960, John moved the family to Rochester, New York, in order to accept a position with Xerox. Yes! That Xerox! Isn't that exciting? I'm I'm rolling my eyes, so you can't. Moving on. Uh, so yeah, he eventually works his way up to Director of Accounting Services there. In 1965, he was offered a position as Vice President and Comptroller at a bank in New Jersey and moved the family, along with his elderly mother, into a 19-room Victorian mansion in Westfield, known as Breeze Knoll. This beautiful new home included a ballroom, several marble fireplaces, and even a beautifully crafted skylight. By all outward appearances, their family was the picture-perfect example of the American dream. As we all know by now, however, appearances can be deceiving. In addition to her alcoholism, Helen had a fondness for tranquilizers, which is a hell of a combination. 
She had also contracted syphilis from her first husband, and as a result, her brain was deteriorating and she was going blind. To add to an already stressful situation, in 1971, John lost his job at the bank and could not seem to find another job that panned out after that. Rather than continue the job search or admit to his family that he was actually unemployed, John would get up every morning and get ready for, quote, work like usual. However, instead of going to work, John would go and spend his days sitting at the train station reading the newspaper. He must have been a really slow reader because, like, all day to read one newspaper at the train station, like, I'm... This guy was a very boring guy. He just sounds like a very boring man. And, like, I don't know why, but I'm suddenly getting, like, this picture, like, in my head of, like, him sitting at the train station and fucking Andre Chikatilo just comes and sits down next to him like, Hello, would you like to go out into the woods? No? Okay. I kill you anyway. So, I, I, but any totally unrelated. Wrong time period. Wrong country, even. So... If you don't know who Andre Chikatilo is, you can check out the uh, episode. Uh, I don't remember what number it is, but it's a bit back there. You can go look for it. Or, you know, just listen to all of them. You should just listen to all of them. <clears throat> anyway. Back to... Actually, you know what? I think I'm going to take a dab. So yeah, where are we at? We're at, uh, so yeah, John's unemployed. I'm just getting my dab ready, so I'm filling the the void, so to speak. Shenanigans. Fuck yeah. Oh, so I think I'm going to do the uh, G.I. Joe Wilson crossed with the No Magic live resin batter this time. Um, it gives you a little preview of what that's going to be like. I don't know why I'm doing the voices. I'm sorry. I apologize now, but... Uh, Bucket. Two tears in a bucket. I'm I'm not saying the next line. But if you know what song that's from, we can be friends. <clears throat> anyway. Okay, so this is the, the G.I. Joe Wilson No Magic. And initially I didn't get much of a scent off of it. You gotta kinda like stick your nose down in the jar. But once you do get the aroma, it's very pleasant. I'm almost kind of getting like a like a tangerine or a nectarine, or like one of those little, you know, little cute sweet ones, the cuties. Yeah. I don't know. Anyway, I'm just going to dab it. So yeah, so John's unemployed. And of course, you know, he's like, "Oh, I'm just going to go sit down at the train station, read the newspaper." Like, why? Like, why would you... What? Like, I get it. You're awkward. You're socially awkward. So am I. I still hold a job. Like, Jesus. You got a family, man. Get your shit together. Pull yourself together, man! Sorry. Anyway. I'm gonna, I'm gonna do the dab now. So. Don't you worry. The awkwardness is ending soon.
Why do I feel like I know this taste? I'm trying to, it, it's very similar to something else that, <coughs> yeah. Oh, it's a very similar taste to something. <coughs> I just can't <coughs> put the two and two together, put the two together in my brain right now. I love how I moved out of the couch because it made noise and I'm just sitting in the spinning chair moving around and making a bunch of noise. I don't know if you can hear it, but I can. <coughs> oh, shit. Alright, well, it did taste pretty good, but I think that I like the taste of the Wilson Woolley Holy Banana a little bit better so far. Alright, so, so obviously he had to get along, you know, he had to survive somehow, right? Gotta pay the bills. So, to get by financially, John was skimming money from his mother's bank account. But it was only a matter of time before the debts started to pile up. And this was due largely to the upkeep on that 19 fucking room mansion. Just saying. You're worried about money. You're living in a fucking mansion. Dumbass. <coughs> Satan. <clears throat> no matter how bad things got, though, John refused to ask for help or go on welfare. In his eyes, this would bring great embarrassment to their family and that the community would look down on them for it. John's father had always driven home the importance of being self-sufficient, and if he were to admit his failings, he would be letting his father down. Hold on. Oh, shit. I will return. Okay, I am back and significantly drunker. Not that you needed to know that, but whatever. <sighs> anyway, where the fuck was I? I don't remember. Oh, God. Oh, yeah, about letting his father down. Oh, fuck. I think I'm going to take a dab. Alright, well, the only thing I have not tried so far is the drunk driver. <laughs> Appropriate. <sighs> I'm not driving anywhere, I'm just saying I'm drunk. So, don't drink and drive. Smoke and fly. Holy fuck. 
fuck, this smells good. Not gonna lie, when you take the lid off the drunk driver batter, that shit punches you in the face. Whew. That shit could drive me home drunk anytime. My God. Oh. It's like, it's just refreshing. It's like, I just, I just want to just breathe that in all day. Hmm. I'm excited for this one. Honestly, like I was super stoked for the, the, the crosses, but this one smells the best so far. Like I, I really, I think this beats the Wilson Willie Holy Banana. So let's see, let's see how it tastes. the drunk driver the name probably could use some work but uh overall i like the product all right before i left the room and mysteriously reappeared slightly drunker we were talking about how john's father had always been like no you have to be a man you have to be self-sufficient you have to provide for your family you can't ask for help. You can't talk about emotions. You can't. Well, I feel like that last one was not about John List. Anyway, so, you know, he was like, basically, if he admitted that he needed help, if he admitted that he had failed as a, you know, quote unquote man in his father's eyes, uh, he would be letting his father down, you know. And uh, so instead... John List decided to do the only logical thing he could think of to solve all of his family's problems. Kill them methodically, one by one. November 9th, 1971 started just like any other day in the List household. John saw the kids off to school, but instead of heading to the train station like he usually did, to pretend to go to work, he returned home with his 9mm and his father's 22 caliber revolver. Instantly, the song 9mm in a three-piece suit comes to mind. For all you ska fans out there, you know what I'm talking about. Uh, anyway, so he entered the kitchen where Helen was enjoying her customary morning coffee. He walked up to her and shot her in the back of the head, killing her instantly. So she's just sitting there just... 
Uh, it sounded more like hitting a joint than sipping coffee. She was just like sitting there. You can hear the birds tweeting, just tweet, 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 tweet. She's like just. Mmm, I love me my morning coffee. And then all of a sudden, up comes John. And she's like, John, what are you doing here? You're supposed to be at work. And he goes, quiet, woman. Actually, if he shot her in the back of the head, none of that actually happened. Probably just snuck in and was just like, you gone. Uh, So John then walks upstairs to the third floor to his mother's room and shot her right above her left eye while she lay in bed. It's not clear what he did for the rest of the day, but when 16-year-old Patricia returned home, he shot her in the back of the head, dragged her body into the next room, and waited for his son Frederick, who was 13 at the time. Upon arriving home, Frederick was also shot in the head. There was a ruthless efficiency in how he killed his family, and this is honestly why I have a huge problem with John's excuse for why he chose to do such a heinous thing. After the ice-cold executions of all but one of the members of his family, John List made himself lunch only feet away from his wife's lifeless body, and then traveled to the bank where he closed out both his and his mother's bank accounts. I'm sorry, but this was clearly a different day and age where you could just like walk into a bank and be like, Hello, good sir, I would like to close out my bank account. And they're like, yes, that's all good and handy, Here's here's your money. And you're just like, all right, and then I would also like to close out my mother's bank account. Well, certainly good, sir. Here's all of your mother's money. Where does that happen? Where Where is there no verification that the other person needs to, like, you know, verify, hey, you're going to take all of the money out of my account. You're closing my account. It's his mother's account. It's not his account. It's his mother's account. Obviously, his mother's got some kind of health issues. Maybe he's invalid because she's upstairs in the third floor attic room all by her lonesome. We'll get to the whole issue of not being able to move her body. And anyway, I, I'm just, I'm just going to, I'm just going to get, I'm just going to get back to it. Just, just, I'm just going to get back to it. I swear. John then went to Westfield High School where his other son, John Frederick, oh, wait, Frederick, I thought there was John Jr. and John and Frederick, oh my god, alright, well there might be a little, conf- a little bit of uh, a, a, a conundrum of confuckery, going on with the names of the children here in my notes or on the internet or both but uh he had kids and he killed them all so that's all you really need to know there was one kid left alive okay right i'm gonna say it's john frederick we're, we're going with john frederick fuck it it's or or it's john jr it could be john jr i don't i don't fucking know I should know. I'm sorry. I should know. Okay. 
John then went to Westfield High School where his other son, John Frederick, who was 15 at the time, was playing in a soccer game. John cheered his son on, drove him home, and then shot him. Unlike the other members of the List family, John Frederick did not die instantly. Yeah, basically, he shot him in the chest for some reason. Or, like, or no, no, he shot him in the back of the head. And then he just kind of, like, twitched a little bit and, like, tried to fight back. And, I, again, mixed information in my sources here. One said that he was shot in the head and then twitched around. And that's why he had to shoot him more. And then another one said that he, like, shot him in the chest, and then he fought back, and then he got shot in the head and chest. Like, either way, evidence went on to show that he had defended himself, and as a result, was shot several times in the chest at least ten times um, in total. So... Once John had crossed all of his family members' names off of his list. I know, in bad taste, but I'm running with it. He placed the bodies of his wife and children onto sleeping bags and dragged them all into the ballroom. John left his mother's body upstairs in her room as she was too heavy for him to carry downstairs to the ballroom. He then sat down to write a five-page letter to their local pastor explaining why he had done such a horrendous thing. You see, according to John's lengthy and ludicrous letter, he had witnessed a growing amount of evil in the world, and that he was concerned his family would stray from their godly path. John was especially worried about this happening now that he was unemployed and the family's financial burdens were becoming too much to bear. Apparently, the only solution that John saw to save his family's eternal souls was to systematically murder each and every one of them. Like, how in the hell does that make sense, dude? Like, at all. Like, like seriously, they're just like, Yeah, so I lost my job, and, uh, you know, the, the, the world is just, uh, it's a, it's a very evil place, and, um, so I'm gonna murder my entire family. Yep, just, just gonna kill them all. Don't, don't, don't worry about it, it'll be fine. I'm doing it to save their souls. That way they can go to heaven right now. And that's it. They're in heaven. Right, right. I'm getting Jim Jones vibes. Ugh. Anyway. <clears throat> Again, you can uh, listen to the Jonestown episodes. Uh, don't remember what number they are, but there are a few ones back. Like I said, just listen to all of them. All of them. All of them. All of them. Anyway. Sue... Now, you might find yourself asking the same question that I did when I first heard this story. Why, then, did you not die 
with your family? Well, supposedly, unaliving yourself is one of the few things that bars you from being able to enter heaven. But apparently ceasing to exist to your entire family is fine and dandy. After writing his convoluted confession, John cleaned up the blood from the various crime scenes and then went around the entire house, ensuring that his face was cut out of every family picture. I guess his thinking here was that whenever the bodies were eventually discovered, that the cops would not be able to identify the mysterious patriarch of the List family. Oh yeah, super genius, dude. Like, your neighbors don't know what the fuck you look like. (sighs) This guy. John spent the night in the house with his now-deceased family. Then, in the morning, he left the lights on, turned the radio to a religious music station, and piped the sound throughout the house using the intercom system. And just like that, John Emil List vanished, seemingly off the face of the earth. Is it Emil? 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 Not doing this again, but it's whatever the fuck his middle name is. Uh, So, yeah, so he vanished off the face of the earth. And that could be due to the fact that he had one hell of a head start, since the bodies of his family would not be found for nearly a month. But surely someone must have noticed, you're thinking to yourself. Didn't anyone find it strange when the kids didn't show up for school? Well, normally, yes. That would have been the case. John had planned for this already, however. He had contacted the kids' schools and informed them that the family would be leaving on vacation for a few weeks. Actually, if uh, his uh, mother-in-law, if Helen's mom had been sick, she was about to visit the family. And John admitted that she would have been his sixth victim. He was like, oh, I was going to kill that bitch too. We're, we all got to die because God, God said we all got to die. Except me. Except me. Not, not me. <clears throat> A little strange there, but whatever. A little strange that your whole family has to die, but you're just like, mm, but not me. It's okay. I, I have to live with, I have to live with it. Right. Anyway, John had also canceled any mail service or deliveries to his house, and that includes, like, milk, you know, whatever the fuck they used to do back then. Basically, so literally nothing would indicate to anyone that something was amiss in the List household. Additionally, the List family was also known to be fairly reclusive, keeping mostly to themselves, so not a lot of questions were asked. Finally, the neighbors did start to ask questions when, after being on for 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, the lights in the list home began to flicker and burn out one by one. And on that note, I think it's time for a dab. Ah, so since I've tried one of each of the three dabs... 
I had available this episode. I kind of think I'm going to do a little bit of all of them in like a mega dab. So this will be the Wilson Willie Holy Banana mixed with the G.I. Joe Wilson Gnome Magic. That's Gnome. I know I'm probably not enunciating that properly, but it's Gnome Magic. And then uh, a little bit of the, um, the Drunk Driver. So I'm going to call it G.I. Joe Willie Wilson's Holy Drunk Driver Banana. It works for me. Ho, 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 ho. Now that is a flavor combination I can stand behind. Or stab behind. No, just just stand. Alright, G.I. Joe Willie Wilson's Holy Drunk Driver Banana is actually pretty good. And I guarantee you, you can play it back. That's exactly the way I said it before. Ha! Ha! Not that high. Alright. The police entered Breeznoll on December 7th, 1971. The lights had all burned out, so the house was eerily dark and the haunting sound of organ music floated through the air. When they entered the ballroom, they found the bodies of Helen and the Liss children laid out on the sleeping bags where John had left them, and upstairs in the attic room was the body of his mother Alma. After reading John's five-page letter in which he confesses to the murders, authorities put out an APB for John List. The case gained immediate national attention, becoming the second most infamous crime in New Jersey history. The FBI was brought in and a nationwide manhunt began, which ultimately only turned up John's car which was found by the FBI at Kennedy National Airport in New York. Uh, If you were wondering, the first most famous uh, crime in New Jersey history, for those of you that do not know, is the kidnapping and uh, murder of the Lindbergh baby. That is Charles Lindbergh uh, and his wife, their, their, their child was kidnapped and eventually found dead. Uh, it was a huge case, huge scandal. Like, they, uh, there was, like, a ransom demand and all this crazy shit. And there's all kinds of theories about it. And I'm definitely going to do an episode about it at some point. So, stay tuned for that one. After finding John's car, the trail went cold for the next 17 and a half years. 
They followed hundreds of leads, but none of them panned out. The largest obstacle being that all reliable photographs of John had been destroyed. Huh. I guess it was pretty genius then. Because, like, if they didn't have the pictures, you couldn't, like, be like, here's the man you're looking for. Fast forward to 1989 when someone decided to dust off the files and reached out to the producers of the hit television show, America's Most Wanted, which had successfully caught several fugitives with viewers' tips. The show had expert forensic artist Frank Bender create a lifelike bust of what they believed an aged John List would look like based on what pictures and descriptions they did have available. And actually, so, like, the the bus that was made is so realistic to what John List actually looked like that, or looked like when he was arrested, that they, they basically have a picture online, and you can look it up yourself, where, um... John List is basically like next to the bust of him and it looked dead on like him. I mean the bust was a little more wrinkly, you know, but other than that it was it was exactly who he was. Like they nailed it. They, that Frank dude nailed it. Like he could be on that show. Nailed it. You know, like the baking show, but it's not baking. It's like sculpting, but it's like people sculpt and bake, you know, like that. Is it cake? There's a new show called Is It Cake on Netflix. And it's, I I just, it just makes me really want to eat a bunch of cake. But anyway, after the show aired on May 21st, 1989, A woman in Richmond, Virginia, called the tip hotline and said that she believed that the bust they showed looked an awful lot like her next-door neighbor, Robert Clark. This woman had also informed them that this Robert was an accountant and a devout Lutheran. Hmm, seems to check a few of the boxes here. Sure enough, Robert Bob Clark was actually John Emil List. The search was finally over. John had literally changed nothing but his name, which he took from one of his former classmates, who he actually claimed he was a friend with. But oddly enough, when asked about it, the real Robert Clark said he didn't even know who John List was. During the trial, his attorneys attempted to defend his actions, claiming that John suffered from PTSD from serving in the military during World War II and the Korean War. However, expert psychologists stated that they believed that John was going through nothing more than a midlife crisis Ouch. So he really just killed his entire family because he didn't, he just was like, like, I don't, I'm stressed out. I don't know what to do. I don't want this family no more. It's it's, it's a lot easier to just kill him and move on. Because that's basically what he did. He just, he just moved on. He went to a whole nother place, raised a whole nother family, 
or lived with whole, you know, like he, he just basically went on and like, he just, he just went and was like, it's like a video game character when you like, you die and you respawn. He just, he respawned, but in like a really bad way, you know, like, (sighs) like I said, this, this guy just leaves like a bad taste in my mouth. Like, I don't, I don't like him. He looks like a creep. He he just gives me creep vibes. Anyway, uh, so like I said, the the psychol the the psychologists basically said that he was going through a midlife crisis and that there was no justification for killing five innocent people. And the jury completely agreed. Uh, John was sentenced to five life sentences on April 12th, 1990. John Emil List died from complications of pneumonia at the age of 82 on March 21st, 2008, while in custody. Um, so yeah, that is the, the story of John List and how he murdered his entire family just because he uh, didn't want to admit he was unemployed and that he couldn't pay the bills. And, oh, the ultimate irony of this entire story is, you, so you remember this 19-room mansion that they're living in? This, this beautiful fucking mansion, which unfortunately burned to the ground nine months after the murders under suspicious circumstances, but it was probably just arson because people were like, the house is cursed now, it's haunted. But anyway, uh, so in this 19-room mansion, remember how I had mentioned there was a handcrafted, beautiful skylight in the in the home? Well, it turns out that that was actually a Tiffany, like a, 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 like a Tiffany edition, like handcrafted skylight that if they had sold it or evaluated it or whatever the fuck they had to do, like that would have paid off all of their debts and then some, they would have been living pretty just off of that alone. And then you could replace it with like a bullshit pane of glass because... You're rich then, who cares? Or at least you're not you're not dying, you're not struggling, you know, but whatever. They all died, so it seems like the better solution to him, I guess. <sighs> what a piece of trash. Anyway, um so yeah, like I said, that was the story of John List. Stay tuned. We've got big things coming up. Sunday night at 8 p.m. we have Burnin' Urban returning with Dibbick Box, where we take a look at the infamous eBay posting of a supposedly haunted wine cabinet. And next week on Dab to Death, I have a very special episode where I'm going to talk about the top five killers in Michigan by body count and I'm going to be featuring commercials uh, from the Michigan Murders and Music podcast. Uh, This is a podcast that I 
uh, found or that we've, you know, interacted with on uh, Instagram. And I've been listening to them for, you know, a few of their episodes now, and I really enjoy their dynamic. Uh, I really enjoy the fact that they feature a, a local Michigan band in every episode. They focus on Michigan crime stories. It's it's an all-around really good show. Uh, you should definitely check them out. I'll have some commercials from them on next week's episode uh, throughout, you know, like throughout the episode or maybe just in the middle of the episode, however it works out. But stay tuned for that. And then uh, I'm trying to get some guests up in here pretty soon. Uh, might have one of my coworkers on and his buddy. Um, and then one of my other coworkers who has a podcast of his own. So, like I said, Dab to Death is back. It's bigger. It's better than ever. Uh, I apologize for the the gap in episodes. But life happens sometimes. You just got to kind of take some time for your mental health and, like, get your shit together and sort it. And, you know, it's, it's, it's good. It's a good thing. So... If you have any feedback on this week's episode or have any uh, topics that you really would love me to cover, please send them into feedback at dabtodeath.com or you can message me on any of the social medias at dabtodeath. Unless you're on Instagram, then it's at dabtodeathpodcast. Like I said, be sure to tune in next week. Until then, be careful out there. You never know when you might get Dab to death.